Welcome to the Theatre of Others podcast. My name is Adam Marple, and I'm the co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing a shutdown and re-evaluation of space and gathering, we at the Theatre of Others are thinking about what stories we need and how best we can share them. We believe space is psychology, and it informs the way in which an audience interacts and reacts to what is presented to them. We create uniquely theatrical events in bespoke sensory performance spaces crafted to encourage curiosity and grant the audience permission to commune with the play. Now that that space has moved online, how can we encourage interaction and action amongst an audience virtually? The Theatre Brothers produces plays that both welcome and challenge the audience. We are committed to international collaboration and are a laboratory that helps artists grow through intensive study of their craft. The Theatre Brothers creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purpose of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task, and it requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? On the podcast today from Melbourne, Australia, our co-artistic directors, Woody Miller, and myself in Cairo, Egypt. This podcast contains explicit language. Hi, Adam. Hi, Booty. How are you going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm incognito. You are. You're, you're looking a, a bit Unabomberish today in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Unabomberish. Unabomberish. Yeah. With these you're bringing, nails, you're bringing strong Unabomber vibes. Well, with you know. these nails and this jewelry. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he robbed a bank. I don't know, and then he became the Unabomber. Whatever. <laughs> Is it because I'm black? I robbed the bank because I'm black. I mean, I didn't want to say like <laughs> Trayvon Martin. I didn't want to say. I didn't want to bring it into this at all. I was saying Unabomber. Oh, you don't like my hoodie? Is that what you're saying? Your hoodie is beautiful, especially with the glasses. It was really, it was really lovely, but it was just intimidating. I was intimidated by yeah. the black man in the hoodie. Yeah. I'm trying to give you a look. Is it the is it the newborn baby look? It's my newborn baby look. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tyra. Thank you. Thank you, Tyra. Tyra, it's the newborn baby look. At the at the new the newborn baby face. He's got a smile. Ugh. It's like a newborn baby. Yeah. Grrr, grrr, mm-hmm. Like a newborn baby. I purr. <laughs> I purr like a newborn baby. Grrr, grrr. Mm, mm. (sighs) it's been a rainy day today and it's been quite lovely and just sit back and enjoy sit back and enjoy and i watched coda for a second time today it was great i I still haven't seen it i want to see it uh adam it's so good it's just nice to like Watch really good storytelling and mm-hmm. simple, simple storytelling, and it's it's a feel good family movie. Like, but it's it's Oscar worthy feel good family movie, which is good. You know what That's I mean? Fantastic. Like, it's like, yeah, it's really really good. Can wait? Are you allowed to watch TV in Ramadan? <laughs> Life continues. <laughs> you can do everything. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You, you might have to fast for your eyes, fast for your imagination. 
<laughs> the only thing you well, I mean you can't have sex. That's that's one thing. See, exactly. You, see, you can't have food and you can't have water. Can you watch porn? During, can you watch porn? I I think that I mean. I don't. I mean, I don't know if I should like Google that or whatever. I don't know the answer to that. Honestly, <laughs> you don't want that on your search engine. You don't, I don't want, want that, that on, on your... my search engine. Of like, <laughs> during Ramadan, can I watch porn? Is this a thing? And I'm like, I, I have to kind of think that probably not. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. Well, it, why, why, why tempt the beast? Exactly. Why, <laughs> why poke the dragon? Is that what we're calling it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, Porn? you can watch the beast. Watch. Sex, sex is the beast. Don't tempt the beast. Or what is it? What are you? What are you calling it? We're not talking about it at all. We're going to talk about. <laughs> you can watch TV during Ramadan. We went to go see a movie. We went to see, we went to see a movie uh, the first day. Did you see Ramadan. Batman? No, and I really wish that we had because we saw Morbius, and I want to warn everybody of seeing that movie. Don't see that movie. Oh, are we going to? Are we becoming Siskel and Ebert? We could, we could, but we'd have Ooh. to actually watch the same movies, and we don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> wait, but which, who's, which one's Cisco? Which one's Ebert? Uh, Cisco's dead. Actually, actually, Ebert is wait. dead now too. They're both dead. Wait. <laughs> okay, so we have to tell our listeners who Cisco and Ebert were, because you know Jack does not know who Cisco and, and Ebert were. You know, he's like Cisco and Ebert. Is that the name of uh, Gelato? Yeah. It's the name of the two guys that sit in the balcony of the Muppet Show and heckle the entire time. That's who they. Are. <laughs> <laughs> he might not even know what the Muppet he Show is. Exactly. Exactly. You, you know, he he's, has limited access to knowledge. Mm-hmm. Only on his, his phone. If he can't get it on his phone, yeah, exactly. If he, <laughs> if he can't get it on his phone, it doesn't exist. <laughs> poor, poor Jack. Poor Jack. Has to oh, sit here and take this abuse Jack. the entire time for the next hour. <laughs> He could always jump on. You know, one of these days he is going to jump on and say, wait a minute. Hold yeah. the phone. The record will stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's scratch. Exactly. Oh, but he doesn't know what a record is. Is this the Jack roasting hour? No, it's not. It's no, not. it's not. No, we love Jack. <laughs> so I watched Coda and it's so good. It's really, 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 really good, Adam. So I don't, what, what, my question is, why haven't you watched it? You're like an Apple fiend. I, I don't have Apple TV. We can't get but Apple since TV when? here. I've never oh. had Apple TV. What? I never had it. I had, I had the like 30 day, you know, access when you buy a new computer with Apple TV, but I never, <laughs> I never paid for it. Oh Lord! Yeah, I know. Okay, so I guess I'll watch it a third time when you're here. Okay, I, I can do that. I will also. I'm happy to watch, watch it again. I will also need to watch all three seasons of Ted Lasso. Um, Are there three seasons now? There's only two. It's only okay. I thought there was a third season. Fine, great. I I watched. Uh, I watched I, look, all okay, three seasons. If we're talking about Ted Lasso, you only you only want to watch it because people say watch it. No, no. I watched the first. Se- I watched almost all of the first season before I had to move. Um. And I liked it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. That was funny. I watched almost all of the first season of it, and then I got bored. Oh, fair enough. Do you know why I got bored? Is it white people? <laughs> Even worse, nice white people. Uh, uh, nice white people. Oh God! I love those trashy white people that you see on reality shows. 
Yeah, Not exactly. Nice. Who wants a kind white person? Oh, a kind white person? <laughs> <laughs> like oh, a God. warm glass of milk on a Sunday. Kind <laughs> white people. <laughs> I, th- I think it's like I kind of just got used to the gimmick of the niceness. Yeah. And yeah. I just kind of got, yeah, just, just like I was having a little bit too much sugar. Okay. Fair enough. And it's not that I need bitter, cold, dank entertainment. Like Succession. I think it just... <laughs> Akshay loves that show. I, I feel like Succession is the opposite of Ted Lasso. Like it is It is the exact opposite. opposite. Yeah. It is the exact opposite. But I do enjoy the words I learned on Succession. There's, uh, what it's I've well written. is that every like first scene gives you... a. Like every first scene of every of every episode. So like, ep- like the first episode of each, the first scene of every episode has like a has like a big vocabulary word that they use, quite wittifully playful banter. Like it's like malpropism at its at its best, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and um, I I, I like that. Yeah. I like to be engaged in that way. But I, you know, it's the 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 nastiness, nasty white people, nasty Ugh. white people. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. The the wealth. Gross. The meanness. Yeah. It's gross. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's what happens. That was that's what happens. How's how is my niece Kali? <laughs> uh she's doing well. She's doing well. We took her to the vet yesterday to get her second vaccine. So she's coronavirus free and she can go out and be amongst the <laughs> Be amongst the uh, the population now. Wait a minute. Um, Do you use the they they use the coronavirus on your on dogs in Egypt? No, no, no. They give you the vaccine for coronavirus here for the dogs. They have so, a vaccine for coronavirus for dogs. Obama's not vaccinated. Not for not for coronavirus. Really? That's interesting. Because I was I, I, the entire time we were doing this vaccine thing with with Kali, I was really thinking like, oh, okay, whatever dog things need to be taken care of but yesterday when we were doing it i was looking at the sticker and the stamp that they gave and it said coronavirus vaccine for dogs and I was no like, it didn't it most certainly did it no it cert- didn't i want to see it now where's the where's her, she has a vaccine passport where's it at i can't find it i think coronavirus vaccine for dogs is yeah. this a mistranslation no it's it's in english it's a coronavirus vaccine for dogs uh I don't think Obama has the. Uh oh. Oh no. Are we anti vaxxing our dog? <laughs> Is Obama an anti vaxxer? <gasps> oh man. I have a, your dog has a, a dog your with an eating disorder. He's an anti vaxxer. He's I a creationist, mean, I hear. Obama. I hear he's a creationist too. He's, <laughs> <laughs> and you know he, does, he doesn't like dogs with smushed up faces. He doesn't like the. <laughs> oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a smushed up facist? Facist? He's a smushed up facist. He's a facist. <laughs> He's a fascist. <laughs> Your when dog dogs with smushed up faces come up to him, I'm he's a fascist. He's a fascist. You know. He's got an eating disorder. He's a fascist. And apparently he's an anti-vaxxer. Wow. I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. But he knows how to shake hands. Well, I'm not shaking hands with him because he doesn't have his vaccine. So he could have coronavirus <laughs> and give it to me. <laughs> he's going to stay away from me. 
As we yeah, run no, naked through the woods, he can't dog. be anywhere near me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's got to, we, we, I'll make him wear a mask. <laughs> okay, good, good. Wow, coronavirus vaccine for dogs. Yeah. See, we have slow internet and we don't even have the vaccine for our animals. That's horrible. You don't even, you don't even know about this thing yet. This hasn't even made it over there yet. Well, she is vaccinated for coronavirus and so now she can go out in the public and she can be around other dogs. And uh, she has a, she got her microchip yesterday, and Great. she will get her um, her rabies shot before, right before I leave. So the day before I leave, she'll get her rabies shot, and then she'll be basically done uh, with all of her all of her stuff. She'll be good to go, and then she, and starting next week, she's going outside, and we start potty training outside instead of on the puppy pads. So. She's doing lovely. Wow. That's so exciting. Well, the, the photos are just so cute. Such yeah. a cute little dog. She's so happy. And I'm glad you decided that she needs to be a part of your life. Yeah. She's a monster, but she's my monster. Yeah, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> so are you going to get her like... Is it winter there? No, we're going into winter. You're going into, you're going into summer. Oh, man. It... it, it, it. As soon as Ramadan began, it it hit hard. We were really cold, like unseasonably cold, and then all of a sudden Ramadan began, and it's like summer. It skipped right over oh. spring, and we are in. Oh, we are like not drinking water. Everybody is like everybody's talking about like this is uncomfortable. Yeah, so we are like desert heat, like in the forties. It's not in the forties yet, uh, but it is uh, low to mid thirties. Uh, but, uh, but coming out of like a rainy and cold like January, February, and March to just like hit April and then go straight to like July. People mm. weren't expecting it. So it's dry. Wow. It's very dry. Wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Well, you know, when the dog is out in that hot, hot weather, you need to get her little footies. I the little get, booties. Maybe, to protect her feet. maybe a little something. She She needs something to reflect the heat away from her or keep the dust off of her or something. Uh, are you going to, are you going to get a reflector for your dog? I might. I Is might. Your dog I, look like a, baked, like a baked potato. I can't tell if she's going to be a bougie dog or not. I don't know. I feel like, well, I think fans going to make it, make her a bougie dog. <laughs> We're going to get her a little, little bandana around her neck. You know, she's got to be fashionable. Of course. Hello. 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 It's all about the fashion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can also identify the dog, the dog owner by the way that the dog actually is dressed right. or not dressed. Right. We need to start it's dressing like a pair like, of shoes. Yeah. You definitely know who the person is from their shoes. See, people mm. think that like, it's like, you know, it's about the clothing. No, it's about the shoes. You can dress it up. It's the shoes. But you can't put lipstick on a pig and that's what happens when you see shoes that don't match the outfit and when i say don't match the outfit i mean like it looks like they come from a completely different class of person it's all about the shoes yeah now now if you look at someone's shoes and it looks like they work at a gas station and the outfit looks like they are going to the Met Gala. You know there's a lie somewhere. Somebody's lying. Mm. They probably stole that outfit. 
Or they have the new Yeezys. <laughs> they're wearing the new Yeezys. That's what they're wearing because, you know, it's, it's fashionable to wear gas station attendant <laughs> shoes. That's true. That's true. They're, the Uggs are back. Mm. <laughs> the yeah. Uggs and the Crocs do the Crocs. not wear Crocs. Adam, if you own a pair of Crocs, you keep them, you keep them away never, from me. I have never had a desire to. I never will. I don't understand the, uh, the appeal of Crocs. Or well, Uggs. what is the messaging behind Crocs? What the, Akshay loves this new, this new craze because, you know, his, his, his style is hobo chic. I think the messaging behind brand. Crocs. I think the messaging behind Crocs is I work in a kitchen. I think the message behind the Crocs is that you don't give a Croc. <laughs> <laughs> well, are they are they with socks or without without socks? Oh God, just just burn them all! Can you believe Balenciaga has a Croc? Ew, really? Balenciaga has a Croc boot. A croc boot, a boot with just a uh, bunch of holes in it. I, it's but this is the thing. What is the messaging? What is the messaging? I have given up on life. <laughs> I can't be. I can't I, be bothered to bend down and tie shoes. I think Balenciaga has given up on fashion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no one wants to buy anything but a hoodie and a sweatshirt anymore. It's like oh my no one wants to leave the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no one wants to look fashionable anymore. And do you remember? Do you remember? This was sometime last year, and I said I was going to the mall for the first time now that it was opened back up, and I was talking about like <laughs> how everything was just comfortable because because there was everybody was just at home, and I was, I was saying like we're gonna have a real problem next year with fashion, and lo and behold, yeah. you cannot go anywhere and find anything other than a hoodie and some sweatpants in any store. Like that is just yeah, that's fashion now. It's just that. Mm-hmm. That was in Mexico. That was when you were trying to find clothes to get married in. That's right. That was in Mexico. And that was already happening. <laughs> a Tweety Bird, a Tasmanian Devil sweatshirt. That's all that was that's all that stores were selling. Well, what would a man be? What would any man be without his clothes? I think we just did a little segue. That was a long segue, but we were gearing up for it. That was a segue. Mm-hmm. We're getting good at this. It's it's like a team. It's like a team teamwork you, you, effort. You, you know? I, I hear it coming. I try and you know, yeah, we 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 redirect each other. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Just like, just like. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today, Adam? We're talking about the costume. The costume. This is fashion. This is not a costume. Mm. The costume. The costume. Yes, the costume. This is fashion, darling. This is my life, darling. This is my life. Well, look. So this this is the thing. So it's uh, uh, is costume important for what we do? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I I think. I mean, here's the thing. I used to not think so. I used to think like it was. I know. You could do. You could. You could do with, or you could do without. And it was Jean Guy that turned my mind around about this. Jean Guy. An amazing sonographer, space designer, set designer. Jean-Guy Lacotte. Jean-Guy Lacotte. Uh, episode, uh, God, what, what episode is that? Somewhere in the 90s. I'll, I'll link it in there. Mm. You can listen to both of those episodes. He's a, he's a sonographer. He's a set designer. He's a space designer. So this he's is a recent change of yours. Kind of, yeah. I mean, but I mean, I'd, I'd been hearing this for a long time, but I'd 
didn't really kind of take it in until then. And and Jean Guy said the only design that you need to have on stage is costumes. Everything else is superfluous. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Mm. That's ridiculous. He said, well, either they're going to be naked or they're going to be wearing something. And as soon as they're wearing something, they're giving off information. They're going to tell you when and they're going to tell you where this place is taking Mm. place in. You don't need any other information design-wise to do that thing. And I was like – and I started to understand that and I started to realize that. And and the only reason I didn't didn't think costume design was important was because I've never worked with a good costume designer. I've never worked with a costume (laughs) designer. I've never worked with a costume designer pretty much, period – and then specifically the ones, a costume designer, a, a specifically co- costume designer. And then once I have worked with a costume designer, it wasn't like it wasn't a, a, a good collaborative and, you know, informative relationship. And so it was just like, yeah, I don't know, go to that store and buy a thing. The whole. OK, so the whole reason the whole reason behind uh, why my actors don't wear shoes is because I couldn't find a costume designer to get shoes. So they just stopped wearing shoes, and then I just became a thing. <laughs> Poor man's theater. Poor man's theater, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, so, this is a big subject, costumes, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, to all of you costume designers out there, I apologize. We apologize in advance. I apologize for <laughs> past vitriol, whether you heard it or not, or felt it from me or not. I have nothing but respect well, I th- now. I think that the 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 importance of understanding why costumes are so so crucial for the storytelling. So why don't we start with why Junkie turned you around and changed your mind and give us some examples. It's it's my first experience, my first real kind of experience with a costume designer was when as an actor I was, uh, we were doing Romeo and Juliet, and this was a modernized, kind of updated, contemporized version of Romeo and Juliet. And I had been doing my actor's homework, doing all the stuff that I was supposed to do as an actor, as a young actor, playing Benvolio. And I show up at my costume fitting, and I'm wearing things that I have never imagined my my character wearing. I'm wearing uh, things that are almost antithetical to the character that I've been building this entire time. And I knew that my, my job as an actor is not to, you know, air my grievances to the costume designer in the costume fitting. Um, but I mean, let, let me give you an idea what I was, I was wearing FUBU. I was wearing backwards <laughs> jeans like crisscross from the nineties and a FUBU shirt, literally a shirt that said FUBU in big letters across the chest. And I didn't know how to be like, I can't wear this. And it's not just me, the actor, saying this. Like, Adam, the human being, I can't wear this. <laughs> you, you know what this stands for, right? I can't, I can't wear this. <laughs> I mean, the backwards jeans, the, the backward crisscross jeans. Can okay. you please explain what – can you please explain FUBU to our listeners that are – that are youthful and uh, have a, 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 a Z or a Z next to their generation? FUBU was a clothing brand that came about in the maybe early 90s. And the acronym, it, the name is an acronym, and it stands for For Us, By Us. It's an African-American clothing <laughs> company. 
It's an African-American fashion line. And I'm wearing a giant <laughs> oversized blue FUBU shirt with massive yellow FUBU letters across the chest. Like there's no there's no hiding. There's, there's no, I can't like put an arm in front of, you know, I can't. It's going to just says it's just going to be for us, by us. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's big. That's yeah. That's problematic. So is this the reason why you hated costumes? It's the, it's I didn't uh, from then on I didn't appreciate. I didn't have a, an appreciation of or an understanding or a relationship with costumes in that respect. Mm, you know what? No. That's not true. That's not true at all. A enormous part of my personality is was defined by a costume choice. Oh, come on. <laughs> Speak on it. <laughs> I was I was in Laramie Project as an actor. Mm-hmm. And my first character, I was the I was the first character of the play, so I was doing the transformation from the actor to the character, Detective Sergeant Hing, and I knew that I needed something to get that character because that character was so unlike me. And I found a pair of my dad's boots from 1972. I started wearing uh, boots for that show. Wow. And it's your dad's boots. Yeah. That's so cute, Adam. Yeah. So now you have to tell him what your uniform is. <laughs> if you don't know me, if you've not met me before, you will always find me in a pair of cowboy boots. No matter what else I'm wearing anywhere, anywhere else, I'm always, always, always wearing cowboy boots. One, because I have flat feet and they make they make a they force an arch and they're comfortable. Two, that's my identity. That's my brand, as we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cowboy boots. And like I said before, it's all about the shoe. Mm-hmm. It will tell you everything about the person. Okay, so but what do you do? What do you do in these kind of okay, so let's go let's go back to the way you were costuming uh, characters in your plays they they weren't wearing shoes what they were wearing like what kind of clothes what kind of clothing were they wearing outside of not having shoes I go back and I look I think about my shows and I really feel sad about the costumes because it, for me it was like it wasn't even a tertiary thought it was a it was a fourth or fifth or sixth or last thought I wasn't thinking about the costumes at all um it wasn't it wasn't something that was an interest to me and i know that i know that i was missing a large part of communication to the audience because of that it wasn't until i mean you know in singapore we had fashion designers doing mm-hmm. our costumes and so i'm giving over an opinion to somebody else that doesn't have the kind of knowledge or interest in the show that i do and so, okay, that's fine. You know, when we were working on Hamlet, originally, we were going to be working with a fashion designer in Indonesia. And mm-hmm. we had a long conversation about what it is, what it is that we want from this, this, this costume designer, from this fashion, why we want it to, what, what story we want it to tell. Um, but I feel like I've never expressed an opinion about costumes in any of my shows. That's a, that's a really that's I'm really sad about that now that I think about it. That you know, I mean, Aww. you know how you know how meticulous I am about space and how meticulous I am about the other design elements and I just couldn't care less about costume. 
until now. Wow. Well, I think for us actors, costume is really important, actually. It helps define your world. Um, the shoes you wear, the gait that the shoe dictates, the, the pants, the top, the, the time period, the, which you're in, the, the, it, it tells so much about your class. It tells so much about how you view the world and how you want to be viewed by the world and accessibility. It, there's so many layers to that. Which, which is why I think, which is why I think I let the actors costume themselves in a way. Because of, mm-hmm. because of my initial first experience, bad experience with FUBU, and then good experience with finding the boots. <laughs> bad experience with FUBU. Bad experience with FUBU. FUBU gate. We'll call it FUBU gate. FUBU gate. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think that's why I've, I've always kind of really let the actors kind of costume themselves. But that's, that's, not, that's also not the greatest thing in the world as well, to have your director not have an opinion about what it is that you wear. I mean, the trust and confidence to to say, like, you figure it out, what's going to make you feel good? But at the same time, like, I've got to be that outside eye that says, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I've not been able to do that. Mm. You're absolutely right. It's so, in- it's so integral for an actor. It, it changes their character. It changes their, their belief in themselves and what they're doing. So do you have some uh, good examples of really good costumes and bad costumes in shows? Interesting. Interesting. Um, Why don't we take a break? Let's take yeah. a break because I want you to think about that. Because I want you to think about like, if you if you're going from Jean-Guy's narrative and understanding why costumes are really important, give us some examples of really good costumes that that tell the story and feed into the world, and the poor costumes. Okay. Yeah, so let's take a break because I think Jack will have the perfect selection of music for us to smoothly transition into another world. Mm -hmm. So take it away, Jack. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Jack. And we're back. Thank you, Jack. Jakina, you're the best. You're the best. You're the best. Okay, Adam. So let's open it up. Yep. Since this costume world is a new thing for you, are there any films or TV shows or theater costumes that resonate or didn't resonate for you? Um, 
I immediately, once we, once we were able to kind of open it up to film, because I've not seen any of her theater work, but I can talk about her film work. Um, I was teaching a class about, uh, about her, not about her, but using her as an example this week uh, with my students. You know Ruth Carter? You may not know the name, but you definitely know her costumes. What's her costumes? So she is a theater designer who has been doing film mostly, and you'll know her costumes from Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Ruth Carter. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Yes. That film is the costumes. Yeah, those costumes are amazing. But Marvel does tend to just give you a costume. They'll, They'll give you a costume, honey. They'll give you a costume. They'll give you. They'll give, they'll you, a give you some silicone. But, but what I love is if I'll, I'll link. Uh, I'll link some of her interviews in here about about what she does as a designer. But like once you once you know what she's done, like you 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 see the small details that she's included in a lot of the costumes, and all of a sudden you go, "Man, that's a brilliant designer!" Like in the Dora Milaje's uh, costumes, every single one of them has trinkets. Every single one of them has little. Uh, lucky charms or keepsakes that they don't ever make reference to, but her idea, and this is what a beautiful designer does. Her idea was this is a uniform that a mother passes down to her daughter for generations and that the mother wow. adds on a trinket. And, uh, and like, if you go back and you watch it, you'll see each one of them has an individualized something on every single one of their costumes. And it's like, wow. yeah, as an actor, if you get that as a costume and you get that story, oh man. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's just cool. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's a really good, that's a good way to, for actors in general to, to take ownership of costumes is they'll have a little, little trinket or something, lucky charm inside of it that they mm-hmm. keep, that they keep as a keepsake for a charged energy that's inside of the, that's inside of the piece. So mm-hmm. it's like, and like we talk about that miswoven loop of like, that's where the spirit comes in. That can also be where you charge the energy of the role, you know, have a little, have a little nickel in your, in your pocket that, that, that signifies something specifically from that time or, um, <clears throat> have a little bracelet or something, something, something that is ex- exclusively yours that, that really connects your body into the tangible world of this, this character. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Are there any Are there any costumes that you're like, no? Yes, and I I think you're going to disagree with me on this. Oh um, no! Oh God! Oh God! Okay. Um, I don't like the way that Ong Kang Sen uses costume, with the exception of border crossers. With can you elaborate on that, please? I feel like. In a lot of his works, I'm thinking mostly of the Lears and the um, the Richards, the kind of um, intercultural work that he's that he's doing. Costume, for me, blocks the actor that they get trapped inside of an idea of a costume. Like for, for why I say it, it for border crosses, it's okay. Is because border crosses in a way was like a gallery. I am supposed mm-hmm. to view the performer as object yeah. as portrait but in the, exactly but in the plays themselves they they feel caught they feel trapped inside of a frame that they can never break free which is why i can never really connect with those works it's not all of his works i mean you know um fear of writing they're all wearing just white kind of suits works perfectly yeah. i can see the actor yeah the, the costume is not distracting me but i feel like 
in Lear or uh, Saidemi Richard or other things, um, I can't find the actor through the stuff. That's so mm. that's for me. That's when it doesn't work. And I, I don't know if, if you'll agree. With I think, or not. and I, I, I think the challenge is that working with a designer that can actually service the image that the director wants, because if you look at Robert Wilson, he, his, oh, his, yeah. his costumes are architectural feats of brilliance. Yeah. Right. But the actor but can move still, in them. But you still see the actor. Yeah. You see the actor and you see the story and the world, the world, like his Wojciech. My goodness, those costumes are just incredible. Um, And so it also goes down to having a costume designer that can fulfill the, the, the kind of picture that the director is looking to achieve, you know, and that, and that I think is the, it goes back to what you were talking about of having, having a qualified designer that can really, help you tell the story that can service the story that mm. doesn't create clunky pieces that actors can't move in that takes them out of the given circumstances of the world and doesn't feed the the imaginative space that they're trying to live in and it's not by any means trying to say that like the costumes need to be taking you into a sense of naturalism but it needs to it needs to live in the world of the play yeah yeah well since you since you mentioned that word the vast majority of plays, sadly, possibly, are in that naturalism, realism world. And so then the vast majority of costumes hmm. tend to be in the naturalism, realism land, which is basically is mm-hmm. just just a, a mirror back on us of what we're already wearing on a daily basis. So I feel like a lot of times I don't think about costume because it just looks like what I see outside every day. You know, there, how many plays are there, you know, every single costume closet class costume wardrobe has those old brown suits because you do a lot of plays in the <laughs> 1930s 40s right i mean that's just kind of boring but yeah. you don't think about the fact that that is actual costume design as well but like mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i think that's why i i've not appreciated costume design because it's always you know dark brown suits full length blue dresses and pearls and it's always you know very naturalistic and realistic and that's not the those aren't the plays that I'm interested in. Those aren't the plays that I'm trying to do. But at the same time, I'm also not trying to do some kind of sci-fi epic, which is somehow. What so, I've what about your what about your your favorite director, Castellucci, in costumes? Simplicity, utter utter simplicity. I mean, he is Romero Castellucci. We're talking about yeah. yeah. Romeo Castellucci. He he dresses his his actors as if they're like in a Benetton ad, like colored shirts, <laughs> khaki pants or jeans. I mean, it's it's very very neutral, um, because a lot of times for for a lot of people, he's using them as the every person. They're 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 there to stand in for an idea, a representation, an archetype of some kind. Um, when he has a main character, then say in the tragedias in hey girl mm, something along the lines of that like it is very well constructed and it's it's and it, again it's it's also archetype now that i'm thinking about it it's, it is everything he is doing every every opera he is dealing with it is he instantly grabs onto an archetype and then builds the costume for that he's also the costumer he's not just the designer he's doing it all um mm. yeah 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 so he's he, 
even in his more, I don't want to say naturalistic because he doesn't do naturalistic work, there's something always just off about his naturalism. There's something that is edgy and dangerous. His purgatorio mm. or his, um, uh, what's the piece, the face of God, um, they're all cut a little bit too short or a little bit too tight or there's something off in the coloring and the pattern. It, it jars. Um so you, it, it can never be naturalism. One, because you know it's Castellucci, so you're like, okay, this can't be naturalistic. But also the costume it does tell you mm, something is off, something is not quite right. This is not real. So what would be the advice that you have for young directors out there when not being able to afford or have access to a designer that can help tell the story with the costume? I think a director needs to familiarize themselves with all of the design, become really comfortable with it without being becoming the designer. I think this is a default mode. This is, this is a mode that I fell into as well of, well, I can't find a set designer. I'll become the set designer. And the problem with that is then a director thinks that they are the set designer, that they can be a set designer. And that's fine to a certain extent. You can design your own pieces, but what would it mean to have that heat, that friction of collaboration with somebody else who has the training and the eye and the knowledge and the research and the time to spend doing that thing. So um, I would say, first off, become comfortable with costumes, with fashion, with, with what is fashionable, with history, um, and then work to meet the young designers. Work to meet... Um, people who do have that knowledge, that training, and that interest and that passion for the costume. I doubt you're going to find somebody who has passionate about brown suits and long blue dresses and pearls. <laughs> what you're going to find is an artist who is going to work with cloth and drapery and and it is, is wanting to express their artistry that way. Um, and then hold on to them. And nurture that relationship and nurture their artistry alongside yours and let their artistry change your artistry. Um, yeah, that's the best I can, that's the, that's really the best I can do is, is say like learn as much as you can and then know where your learning stops and where a specialist is needed and then hold on to them for life. It's, it's, it's interesting because I, it's making me think of budget. <laughs> yeah. And, and wastage. Yeah. You know, it's like your, the economy of your costume designs, Adam, had very little wastage. I don't think we've had that, even if, with Hamlet, like all those pieces ended up going into our wardrobe. Like there was very little wastage. But that's just it because, because we were designing them. Everything was being designed that it had to have a secondary usage because I don't know what to do. Like we're not, we're not going to have any like ginormous uh, specialized costumes because I didn't have an opinion on it. And I didn't have a costume designer coming in with any kind of great opinion themselves. So everything had to be um, great. This will be used again by the actual actors in their actual wardrobe. <laughs> The economy, the economy of that was necessity more than anything else. 
Yeah, but like, but where do you, where does, what can, what, it's just like, it's, it's almost like what Zhangi was saying is like, if you're a lighting designer, you should also be a set designer. It should also be a costume designer. There should be a, a one person job it as really opposed to be. specialized yeah. because it's been specialized in so many different ways that like finding access to someone that that can actually do it is the, is the challenge. Yeah. And the, you know, a production team and a director does the best they can with what they have. Yeah. You know, it's like, when I was at Chautauqua, we had the privilege of having a costume designer, a lighting designer, a set designer, you, you know, a, a brilliant conservatory, and they had master teachers that were, I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, decked out. Yeah. And, and, and mind you, mind you that even, even having those kinds of budgets doesn't mean that the costume designs or the designs are, are going to be good. So we did this production of The Tempest at, uh, Chautauqua. Mm-hmm. And we had this costume designer that was determined to put this African American Caliban's hair in a wig oh. that was straight and, uh, um, red. And I was like, and this particular actor had a beautiful head of afro kinky hair big beautiful hair big beautiful earthy hair like a gorgeous and i can't tell you how angry i was i'm sure when they forced her to be in a wig and it's like i was i was fighting i've been fighting that shit for so fucking long it's like can't anyone see it? Yeah. And then this beautiful actor, she was just like, "What am I gonna do, buddy?" Like, I was like, "Cause I was like, what? Why are they doing it? What? Why are they putting you in that hair?" This is this is a Fubu moment. This is a Fubu. This is a Fubu moment. This is a Fubu moment. This is a Fubu moment. And it's like having uh, having uh, designers that. Can do the dramaturgy for not only for the play, but also for, for the, the bodies actors. that are in the play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this is this is the this is, I mean, amongst other things, this is the premise that the we see you white theater, white American theater was like, uh huh, was really talking about. Uh huh. If you if you don't know how to if you don't, I mean, this is a problem in film as well. If you do not know how to light black bodies, yeah. If you do not know how to get costume, off the set, if you do not know how to do the hair and makeup to black bodies, then yeah, get off the set, get the training, get the yeah, training, get or the get training. or get the or get a person who you know you know is of that is of that, that race, knows how to do is, it is, is knows how to do that exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you you can't not know how to light a dark dark skinned person. You 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 can't yeah. not you can't mess with the hair that you have never dealt with before in your life. If you don't have that training, that's. I can't tell you how I was so angry. Yeah. And it's one of the, it's one of the photos that like is the Chautauqua theater company. Cause that actor is phenomenal, but like the fucking wig that they put her in. I'm just like, I, every time I see it, I get angry. I'm just like, Ugh. because for me, it was just a slap in the face of like, why can't Caliban have their own hair? Wouldn't Caliban actually 
be more earthly anyway having that hair? It's like you're saying that Ariel needs to have that hair? Why do we have to have that fucking hair? <clears throat> and mind you, you know I love a good wig. Mm-hmm. I love a wig. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't match the detail of what's happening with the actor's body and telling the story through this character of this actor's body, it's like, get the fuck out of here. Just please, go away. Go away. Um, But a really good uh, costume scenario. um, Let me me see if I can do theater. I think, I think what, you know, and it's, it's a nice kind of entrance into the storytelling of Hamilton. Like, because it goes, it's like, it's this like, well, you know, we're telling a story through uh, through a hip hop narrative, through yeah. uh, bodies of color uh, narrative, and then you have the imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy on their bodies. Mm-hmm. It instantly tells you time Imperial. and place. It instantly tells you time and place, yeah. and the incongruity, the juxtaposition of what you're hearing with what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. And so it and 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 what it does is it modernizes your understanding of how contemporary these people were in their time, like mm-hmm. the, the contemporariness of those people in that time, mm-hmm. and the 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 kind of gritty avant garde. We're making a constitution like we are. You know, it's like that that kind of that that kind of like sense that you get from hip hop as well. Because hip-hop feels that it's like it's being generated in the moment. That's what I love about hip-hop. It, although the 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 um the work is clearly rehearsed and clearly, you know, mapped out, hip-hop is the like and, and you know, when you have a cipher and people are freestyling, there's still that that feeling like even even when it is uh a, a learned um song or uh, uh, a run of 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 a solo. It still gives you that feeling of like it's happening right now in my body, right now, and it's being generated at this moment. And I think that's what's so cool about what happens with um, Hamilton when you have the costumes that are completely telling us that we are in that world, in that space, in that time. And then our bodies are feeling these emotions, hearing these sounds, seeing these bodies that, that reflect a, a broader community of people. Yeah. And then, you know, another great costume design was, um, the crucible. Oh, Eva Van Hova? Van Hova's Crucible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, time and place instantly kind of kind of solidified in that kind of uh, Irish schoolhouse in the 1930s kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. It worked. So... In contemporizing older texts and older narratives, I think costume can play a really exciting role. Mm-hmm. But then you also have those situations where the costume is like a almost straight jacket to the world. 
Mm. Like a Christmas carol. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite. Your favorite. My favorite. You know, Tiny Tim. God bless everyone. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> yeah. But then that's just also bad theater. Yeah. But then you have My Fair Lady, which which requires a budget. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, costume seems to be pretty bound to the big plays with the big swooshy dresses and the big budget. Like that's what Broadway loves best. Broadway doesn't like the, the more avant-garde costumes or the, I mean, with the exception of Hamilton, even there's a sense of like the more colorful and flamboyant that it could be, the better, the better it possibly makes the show. Yeah. A hoop skirt. What do you think of the costumes for SpongeBob? What do you think about SpongeBob's costumes? God, talk about that show. <laughs> I did not. But it's a like show that show. Jack knows. Jack knows who SpongeBob is. Jack knows who SpongeBob is. We, we need to have a narrative that that is clear for Jack. Yeah, Jack. They made a musical, a Broadway musical about SpongeBob, <laughs> and one of my favorite directors on the planet did it, and I still yeah. don't know why. Yeah, I mean Tina Landau. Other than the fact that she made a lot of money on it. Mhm. <sighs> mhm. Well, and that's the thing. If you, if you, okay. So, but we have to. I, I brought it up. I put it into the ether. SpongeBob costumes. What did you think of the SpongeBob costumes? I mean, you're having to kind of really do the impossible. You're having to turn a cartoon into a live action something with actual like human bodies. So, I mean. I thought it was inventive what they did with Squidward. I mean, how do you have a tap dancing squid? You got to do something <laughs> with that. Like, how do you turn how do you turn a square sponge into a human being? <laughs> I mean, he has a pretty standard. He has brown shorts, and you just give him a mm-hmm. yellow shirt. And there you go. You know, for for Patrick, you just put a an overweight man in a in a pink shirt. You got Patrick. You know, it's like. <laughs> It was just, it was like, it was an assault on the senses, that show. My my eyes hurt after watching that show. There was so much color. I'm sure as a kid, it was amazing. I wish I was drunk or high watching that show. (laughs) It was. I was very stoned watching that show. (laughs) You you needed to be. You really needed to be. (laughs) That show was, it was, I mean, when we talk about. Throwing everything and the kitchen sink at something, that, that shows what they did. They took everything and the kitchen sink. They found every single, every single uh, recording artist and asked them to do a song. You got David Bowie, you got John Legend, you got Jack Black. I mean, there's, everybody wrote a song for that show. (laughs) Okay, so what about the costumes for... What about the costumes for, oh, uh, the adaptation of local Oklahoma? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this, this uh, time and place, yes, it's updated. It is contextualized. It is uh, what is Oklahoma today. 
Um, but it's one of those things again. I, I, I have the, I have this kind of, I, I personally have this issue. This is me, and I need to get over this, and I need to figure out how to use this. Of when I see something that I could see on the street, I kind of instantly kind of start <laughs> to ignore it. I do because because it I could, think that's perfect. That's a perfect example of a good costume design. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, okay, I. I I wear cowboy shirts. I have those kind of snap buttons. I like that. And I wear cowboy boots. So that's just my outfit. So I'm instantly kind of ignoring what um, Curly is wearing because now I can just focus on him. I can just focus on what he's doing and what the recontextualization of the story is. And I can listen to the music better in that respect. Whereas um, something that is very specifically needed, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to say that this is a costume, but Ado Annie was in a wheelchair for that production. Mm. And mm-hmm. that Were they actually a, a disabled person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she is she Fabulous. is bound to the wheelchair. She that she needs the wheelchair. Um but it didn't become it it, it almost became and I and I, I don't again, I don't mean this in a in a pejorative way. It became a costume. It just made me see her character better. I'm just a girl that can't mm-hmm. say no. Now all of a sudden, like there's a context why, you know, the wheelchair is adding to the characterization. The characterization is trying to overcome, you know, this accoutrement that is part of the being. All of a sudden it all just kind of made sense. And it wasn't it wasn't a thing of like, oh, how nice of them to cast a, a differently abled body in this in the space. It was just like, oh no, of course. Yeah. Ado Annie, of course, that makes total sense that she would have this that she would be this way. Um, but if, but then know. we also go, but so then, so then we're also looking at the, the filter and the narrative of ableism. So it's like oftentimes with ableism is, uh, and the, the, the privilege of ableism is w- that they look at the medical condition as opposed to the actual person that's in front of them. So there's a, there's a multiple layering of, you know, Annie being a person, right? And the type of person that is just that, that is in the, the realm of, I'm, I, I can't say no because I, kissing is my favorite food. I love, I love sex. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like, and that's completely d- devoid of, of the, of the wheelchair. So <clears throat> I think when we put something on stage, we have to, we have to be really clear about why we're putting it on stage. Yeah. And and I think that I think they did a really good job at that. And I think mm. where I I really hope that people who saw that show realized um realized that that about ableism and and differently abled bodies of going like I mean it's this it's this thing it's the thing that if the uh, the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening did this for deaf artists mm. of going like oh. I can appreciate this musical even better now because of the sign language that is there, that is necessary for them, that makes me actually hear the music and see the music better. I see Edo Annie in a better way now because, not because they specifically cast, but because they didn't, uh, they didn't, uh, keep themselves from casting a differently abled body. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they sought out Maybe maybe they did, but it, instead of having to, well, we need to find somebody in a wheelchair. It was we know we need to no longer uh, keep ourselves from casting anybody who is differently abled. 
Anybody mm. can play this mm. with the right contextualization, with the right uh, with the right actor, of course. Um, a good actor is a good actor. Yeah, it, I agree. I agree. The it, the truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. Right? Yeah. Could barely speak English. The truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. If the shoe fits. If the shoe fits, call Tamila. Who's Tamila? That, exactly. <laughs> you better call Tamila. Tamila. Caller. <laughs> but you can't use my phone. <laughs> but you can't call my dealer. <laughs> I told. I, I, I think it's time for provocations. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Provocation time it is. Wait, what were you going to say? You no, were going to say something really juicy. I could see it. it, it, it. The, the the call Tyrone uh, is a joke that the fan and I have. She heard that song one time, and now she's anytime I do something silly or she does something silly, I say, you know what? You better call Tyrone. <laughs> that's our that's our way of telling each other to shut up. Oh, that's so cute! Yeah. I'm so happy that Badu came into your life. Everybody needs a little Badu <laughs> in their life. You know, I, I, did I tell you that I actually changed my name, my drag name? <laughs> no. To Booty Badu. Booty Badu. Mm, I, I I like that. Booty Badu. Yeah, that's my that's my new that's my new drag name. Peter Chanel is now Booty Badu Chanel. Booty Badu Chanel. <laughs> nice. I, we need to come back. We need to do some provocations. Let's come back and do some provocations. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, help us with some song. back thank you jack Thanks, thank jack. you for the song jack thank you thank you thank you adam Yo. it's provocation time yeah do you have any provocations um i think so maybe um so this goes a little bit back to a past episode we were talking about with branding to think about what is your personal brand what is your personal style there is something that you feel more comfortable in that's something that you feel your best self in. And it's not just when you dress up in a, a fancy dress or a fancy suit. Like, what is your day-to-day feel-good, like, I'm going to win at life today outfit? And can you identify that as a brand? Can you identify that as your costume? And can you start to look around at your friends that you know well when you know that they're at their best, when they're at their peak, whatever, and can you start to look at things as costumes and start to think about this 
as you cast a play, as you direct a play, or as you're acting in a play, how you can start to think about, to trick your brain into converting that thing from fashion, which is a kind of a ubiquitous thing that a lot of us just ignore when it's not high fashion, we're not, when we're not supposed to necessarily look at it, to then go, okay, dramaturgically, what can I learn about myself in my choices in costuming? And dramaturgically, what can I learn about my friends or the people that I have around me to learn about their choices? Why does Adam wear cowboy boots every single day? Why does <laughs> um, this person wear a hoodie and sweats every single day? Why is this a choice, an active choice that they make on a daily basis? What can I glean from that? What can I glean from um, the, the, these characterizations that are coming from their costuming? That's my provocation. Mm. That's really good. I, I, I love that. I'm, I'm going to add on to that. And I'm going to say, when you're watching stuff, I want you to watch it. I want you to watch the story from the costuming. How is the costume telling the story? How is the costume deepening the narrative of what's happening in the world? Because we get so, because we, we're, you know, we, we speak so much about acting and directing and, and storytelling, but let's, let's, let's get, let's isolate it and really just look at the costuming. How is the costuming really changing the, changing the narrative? And what's great about, what's great about like things like Netflix and, you know, streaming is that you can, you can turn the show on and then turn the volume off and then look at the pictures and see if the actual movement of the pictures with the costumes is telling the story, is, is telling the story and deepening the story. Can mm-hmm. you still get the story just from the pictures of the costume? Mm-hmm. How will we know that they did this, Adam? Well, what they're going to do is they're going to go to speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Speakpipe.com backslash theater of others, all one word, theater with an R-E. You can leave a 90-second voice message there. We'll play it on air. We'll answer your questions. We'll respond to your provocations to us. If the voice message system is not for you, you can leave us an email at podcast at theater of others. Uh, we also are on Instagram, Facebook, and the website. Mm, we're on the gram. And we would really, really love for you to what, Booty? Subscribe, 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 subscribe. Come on, y'all. Just subscribe to us and then you'll get our beautiful podcasts. Beautiful, as I say so myself. (laughs) Our beautiful podcasts every single week in your inbox. That's right. (laughs) We haven't missed one day or one week week of podcasting. (laughs) Nonstop for almost two solid years now. hundred and. 110 episodes. Good Lord. 110. 110. 110. 110 episodes. 110 episodes. <laughs> it's amazing. And you need to give us five stars when you when you uh, when you subscribe. You need to give us five stars, like my Uber driver always asks me. Give me five star, five star. Five star five you star. give me five star, five star. I give you five star. Five star, five star, five star. And then leave a comment. Tell us how. Tell us how. Tell the world how much you like us. How much you like us? Tell us why we're still. How much you like us? I like them so much. You really like us? I really, really like like them. Hashtag I like them. Hashtag. (laughs) Hashtag me likey. Hashtag ready to do so. Oh, Adam, it's so good to see you. Always fantastic to see you, buddy. I love you so much. I love you too. I'll see you soon. I'll see you for rehearsal. Yeah, very soon, very soon. Mm. Kiss Fannin. 
Kali for me, please. Tell uh, them I love them. I will. And give give me a give a, a giant hug to Akshay and Obama for me. I will. They can't wait for you to get here. <laughs> and for everyone else, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Theater Brothers Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theaterbrothers.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. A special thank you to Purple Planet for the music you've heard. The Theater Brothers creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purposes of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary, and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task and requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Be sure to tune in next week for our next journey.